0: Hey, podcast listeners, you know, there's no quick fix for most of the issues leading the headlines right now. Anti-Semitism and Islamophobia is on the rise. News outlets are dying on the vine and politics are infiltrating your pension plan. Senator Paula Simons and Tasha Carradine share potential solutions in this thought-provoking episode of Real Talk.
1: This is a relay project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
0: I want to welcome you to this episode of Real Talk. Coming up in just a second, Senator Paula Simons joins us. We're going to get into a whole bunch of stuff. The the senator bid adieu to Twitter a long time ago, but so did a bunch of other people, and and then they came back. Uh, and And I recently discovered that the senator has, in fact, not come back to Twitter. She she's not come back at all. In fact, she's just marked a recent anniversary on Mastodon. Remember when everybody was 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 uh, was uh, exiling to to Mastodon? They were done with Twitter. They were f- closing up shop. They were folding up their accounts. They were never coming back. Well, she stuck to her guns on that. We're going to revisit a piece that she wrote a couple of years ago in Alberta Views magazine, Pension Folly. I want to pick her brain on the Online News Act. Plus, she's kick-started an annual tradition. It's a whole lot of fun, and we'll get into that with Senator Simons in just a second. Second half of this show, we'll be joined by political analyst, pundit, author Tasha Carradine uh, with a piece that we briefly touched on uh, yesterday in the National Post, the headline, We Said We'd Never Forget the Holocaust, but Gen Z has nothing to remember. We're going to talk about the rise of anti-Semitism across Canada. We've got a very powerful email from a real talker by the name of Crystal we're going to get to, Uh, plus a shout-out to Rob in Wetaskiwin. Rob wrote us a great note about the uh, Alberta pension plan, and we want to make sure we get to that as well. We're always asking you to get in touch with the show. We're inviting you to provide your feedback And when you do so, and when those emails, the cream of the crop rises to the top, we got to make sure that we make good on our commitment to make sure that those emails are heard by this audience. This episode of Real Talk is presented by Business Career College. And just a quick note to those of you that are looking for a rewarding and high-paying career, who wouldn't want that? But here's the thing, you go, yeah, but I don't have a university degree. You don't need one. You can get started as an insurance professional right now with Business Career College. You know, in Canada, insurance agents are starting well over $55,000 a year. They can soon be earning more than $90,000 annually, and all you need to do is take an approved course and pass your licensing exam. Business Career College offers industry-leading approved courses in life insurance, property and casualty insurance, plus their expert instructors are passionate about helping you launch your new career. They want to see you succeed. Right now, you can save 15% off any business career college insurance course just by presenting the promo code REALTALK. All one word, that's Talk." Get started today at businesscareercollege.com. Well, for many years, Paula Simons was a newspaper columnist, Uh, A a, a recipient of a a national newspaper award and, of course, well-known not just by people in Alberta but across the country who appreciated her take on issues that matter. She has since then uh, evolved her career accepting an opportunity to serve as a Canadian senator, which comes with a whole new bag of responsibilities of course opportunities as well and we've always appreciated when the senator has made herself available to real talk including this morning it's been a long time since we've had a chance to chat it's nice to see you again
2: no i mean i think the last time was when i came on to announce that i was leaving twitter yeah which is why i thought it was terribly funny that you said you'd been sending me direct messages on twitter uh, because no I, i i quit i quit cold turkey um i have never been back yeah not even Not even to have a little peek. Sometimes my staff tells me, oh, somebody said this about you on X. And I say, nope, no, 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 no. (laughs) Uh, Paula doesn't live there anymore.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, we had, because you and I corresponded uh, over Twitter on DMs for like years. And so I think we had invited you three times to come on the show on Twitter. And and I just figured she's either not checking her DMs or we've fallen out of favor. Um, And then we reconnected in the old school form of email.
2: Yes. Email. (laughs) You know, I'm, 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 I'm. I, and I'm available, as you said in in the opening, on Mastodon, which uh, remains a, a very happy place for me. I mean, it has not uh, it has not devolved the way X has done. It has also not perhaps grown as much as I hope that it would. But the interactions I have there are very positive. So
0: yeah, good stuff. Um, the, the whole Twitter thing—you're—you're you're, you're not even curious just for a split second. You're not even—you like some people. You know the the reason why we get such huge traffic jams on the highway when there's a fender bender is everybody's got to yeah, pop people, in and see stop. it. People want to see the no, carnage. I mean you know
2: for a, for a while you know the Germans have a wonderful world, Schadenfreude, which is the joy you get from other people suffering. Um, so for a while. Every time there was a horrible story about some stupid thing that Elon Musk had done or some disaster that was happening on the platform, I would get that little shot of Schadenfreude. And then I decided that was not actually good for my soul. So I prefer to think about positive things. But I also think that, you know, what we have seen over the last 18 months is the end of the kind of social media universe that. That We loved where people all came together and had conversation. I don't want to romanticize Twitter, which was even at its best, sometimes a a bit of a cesspool. But, you know, I just feel that for all of these things that have splintered, uh, you know, you've got Mastodon, you've got Blue Sky, you've got Threads, you've got Post, you've got, you know, all. You know, and, and other people who went back to things like Tumblr and Reddit, there just isn't a common place anymore where people are coming to have those conversations. And I miss it. I miss what Twitter did at its best to grow community, especially in Edmonton, which was an early and enthusiastic adopter of the medium. But I think you know, we went through a phase where we we traded things like Facebook and Twitter and Google almost as if they were public utilities, and I think it's been a sharp reminder that we were always you know, enjoying those things at the pleasure of their capitalist overlords.
0: Ah. Yeah, I had an interesting conversation yesterday with Bruce Arthur from the, the columnist from the Star, and and, yes. uh, and and he was talking about you know he, he has a recent column talking about how the internet certainly isn't helping uh, with the Israel Hamas war. It's not yeah. helping with any other conflict, um, and and we got into how blue check marks are kind of the new red flags now that people are paying for them. Yeah. Uh, seems like the most heinous accounts are the ones with the blue check marks. Now it's been a, kind of a weird flip flop.
2: Well, you know, and if you're getting I had this conversation with my daughter, who is, you know, a 26 year old lawyer and social justice activist. And she said she realized that most of her friends were getting their news about what's happening in the Middle East from Instagram, which means they're not getting news at all because you can't share news links on Instagram and you can't share news links on Facebook. So what people are, you know, people are getting their news in the form of memes and in the forms of, you know, listicles and things that, you know, people are creating on those platforms to be provocative. And then the algorithms feed you more of what you wanna see. So it's no wonder that people have become remarkably polarized about what's happening in Gaza and what's happening everywhere else in the world because they're getting their news from platforms that no longer are even able to share a news link.
0: Yeah that whole i i mean the 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 situation around news being shared and what's real and what's fake and and uh, i mean some of it is obviously very real um there are journalists that remain in gaza that 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 are just i mean some of the most courageous in the profession i saw a uh, a photo yesterday of about 15 of them lined up with i mean they look like they work on police bomb squads right now they've got not just not just the, the typical helmets on they've got full vests and everything it's 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 hard to imagine but then you also have uh, you know video being repurposed from Syria uh which doesn't take away from the tragedy of the video but it's not accurate in its presentation yeah. and and the whole thing's kind of gone sideways you have an you have an interesting position now like serving in the red chamber you're you're a senator uh but you've also got a long career in media this whole online news yeah. act it's changed a lot and you and I have seen a lot of our former colleagues That'll post now on platforms like Meta or you know Facebook or Twitter, or whatever. That'll say, "I can't share my story with you on here. It doesn't work anymore." But please go to our website to check it out. You've got an informed opinion on this. Can oh, we I have, it? I have
2: so much information and so much opinion. Yeah, uh, Bill C eighteen, uh, which we passed uh, last spring, was a terrible idea, and I'm, I'm, you know, uh, speaking of Schadenfreude, I'm proud to say that I opposed it at every point, including at second reading, which is very unusual. People don't usually vote against bills at second reading, but I was so mad about C-18. I voted against it early and often. Uh, And I told people in my final speech on the bill, um, I had this line in my speech that I said, I feel like Cassandra, the prophetess in, you know, in ancient Troy that nobody ever listened to, even though she was always right. <laughs> and my staff said to me, don't you think that's a bit melodramatic? Don't you think that's a bit narcissistic? And I said, no, 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 I'll keep it in the line. Because I told people, I, you know, I told them this is what would happen, that if we invoke C-18 and try to impose what's effectively a link tax, forcing uh, Google and Meta. Into profit sharing agreements, revenue sharing agreements with Canadian media outlets, that they would simply stop sharing the links Uh, because that is what Facebook had been threatening to do. And people in Ottawa said to me, Oh, it's just an empty threat. And I said, You know, I'm not carrying water for Facebook at all, but I've met with them and they don't look like they're threatening to me. They look like they're promising. And sure enough, almost as soon as the bill passed, Facebook started blocking. Uh, on, on Facebook and, and Instagram. Uh, I don't go on threads, so I don't know what they're doing on threads. Uh, But, you know, Facebook, which was a way that a lot of people of my generation got their news. You can't share the news there anymore. And not only that, it's clear that the algorithm has been sort of downvoting uh, any posts by people who are journalists or people who are in politics. So we are now waiting for the other shoe to drop and to see what happens uh, when the bill, uh, because the bill hasn't technically been, it, it's received royal assent, but it hasn't had its coming into force. So once the bill comes into force, we'll have to see what Google does. Uh, the government early on was very bullish and said, oh, you know, they 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 hope to have a deal worked out with Google, but now things have gone quite quiet in Ottawa, and I think I would not be surprised. I mean, I'm not certain what Google is going to do. They haven't spoken to me for a couple of months now, but I think it would be not improbable that Google might try to block all access to news. And I mean, and that for Canadians, that, that effectively breaks the internet because it's not just current breaking Canadian news stories. If they follow the Facebook model, what Facebook has done is blocked Canadians' access to every kind of news. So you can't share a link from BBC or Al Jazeera or The Economist or The New York Times. You can't see those or share those on Meta. And they've also gone back and done it back in time. So if I, you know, if a post for me comes up of, a, of an Edmonton Journal column that I shared 10 years ago on Facebook, it's now blanked out too. So if Google does that, we won't just lose the capacity to read the news going forward. We'll lose the capacity to, to do any kind of research, I was speaking to a grade nine class at S. Bruce Smith Junior High yesterday, and I explained this to them and they were horrified because they said, well, how can we do our homework if we can't do our research on Google? And I said, that's a very fair question, because how do I do my homework as a senator if I can't do my research on Google? Um, you know, we've treated it like a library and it's not a library. Mm. It's a it's a you know, it's a private company that is not particularly interested in serving the needs of Canadian readers or researchers.
0: It was interesting this summer. I think that maybe the prime minister thought that he could leverage an emergency situation to, to maybe find favor among Canadians for C-18. I don't know what it was, but you remember as those wildfires burned, yeah. uh, he de- he described Facebook's actions as inconceivable, um, you know, criticizing the jump. You know, I mean, one of the biggest companies in the world, uh, a, certainly a for-profit company for, for denying Canadians, you know, rights to or access to essential information. It didn't, like, it didn't rally the troops, though. It didn't get Canadians well, kind of like it, behind the prime minister it, it, on this.
2: It did for some. I mean, for some people... For some, I- I mean, sure. you know, for some and frankly, there is there's a perfectly fair argument that says that what Facebook is doing is unconscionable. The problem is that we all sold our souls to Facebook. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you were in when you were in, you know, regular old private radio and I was writing for the Edmonton Journal, we all I mean, we worked as hard as we could to search engine, optimize our stories and our headlines so that they'd be shared more widely on Google and Facebook. And then it's pretty hard to turn around with a straight face and say, oh, you stole our links. Now you have to pay us for them when we were the ones doing everything possible to facilitate the sharing of those links. But, you know, I mean, how how many of us. You know, share our, our let's, let's take us out of the media, right? I mean, how many people share their family photos on Facebook and you just kind of assume it's always going to be there as a photo album. Yeah. What if what, what if one day it's just not there anymore? Or what if one day, you know, for some reason you you need to quit? Um, how much how much of your personal life exists on this platform to which you are at the mercy of some corporation? Um, you know, I find half the time what I'm doing on Facebook is looking back at my memories because it's nice to see. Oh, you know, eleven years ago it was minus twenty three and now it's not. Um, but, you know, the last couple of days, Facebook has told me I have no memories. Mm. And I thought, really? Because I'm pretty sure I have memories on Facebook for this day. But, you know, to what extent have we all become so comfortable with the idea that these platforms would be there forever, that we haven't got, we haven't got a fallback, not just for, for news and information and our right, our right to know what is happening, Uh, But but the amount of our souls we have given over to these companies, you know, when I think how much time I spent on Twitter, how much time I lived in that space. And now I, I, you know, I feel like I broke a spell. I'm out of a thrall.
0: Yeah, you must feel like you quit smoking or something. Yeah. And now you you walk walk out of the bar and everybody else is smoking and you're like, I can't believe I used to do that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I think I, I think that's I think that's what it's like. It really was an addiction for me. Because, you know, uh, you don't become a newspaper columnist or a politician without having a little seed of narcissism deep in your soul. And the constant feedback, look, 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 people are paying attention to me. People are paying attention to me. Um, We're wired for that as human beings. And these platforms fed our craving for notice And recognition. And this isn't just, you know, for people like you and me who are in the public eye, I mean, from the time we're babies, we're hardwired to get people to notice us. That's how we get fed. That's how we make sure that, you know, the wolves don't eat us. So these feedback loops that play, you know, on on these parts of our, of our psyche that say, look at me, look at me, they're, they're, you know, it's very easy to fall into what is, you know, a psychological addiction
0: the the whole I guess premise and maybe I'm oversimplifying check me if I am uh, of this is is probably the federal government and, and under Trudeau's tenure they've tried a couple of different things to, to try to save news so to speak right yeah. there was there was the 600 million dollar fund that it that it seemed like most news organizations didn't want anything to do with it was bad optics it was a bad look uh, critics of the, the big mega news companies in Canada would say, oh, you know, in bed with Trudeau, the 600 million, those weren't the ones getting it. It was for the independent, small, yeah. local operators. So that was the one initiative. And then this is kind of the other one, C18. Well, we're going to get the big companies, the big, you know, digital social media platforms to pay for the content that other companies are paying to produce, like the Globe and Mail or the CBC or, or whomever. So there's been these two big initiatives, both under the the premise of saving news or preserving journalism, the integrity of journalism, the viability of it in Canada, which obviously I think we would both agree, and this audience would probably agree, is important. So, if not C eighteen, if not the six hundred million dollar bailout, then what? I mean, you're a fierce critic of this so called Online News Act, but but what do you think would work? Like, where do we go from here?
2: Well, you know, I think one has to start with the premise of how much do we want to be propping up and keeping on life support uh, the old media model. I worked for the Edmonton Journal for 23 years. I grew up in this city. I read the Edmonton Journal, you know, from, from the time, you know, from the time I was five and learning to read. Um, and I walk past the building now. It is completely empty. And I'm not even sure how many people know that. I mean, the, the the building is empty. No one has ever come back since COVID. And there are literally a handful of reporters, a handful, putting out both the journal and the sun. I mean, that newsroom is smaller than the newsroom of, you know, many campus newspapers now. And I have nothing but respect and affection and indeed love for my former colleagues who are who are there. But that is not that is not sustainable in any real way. I mean, it is done as a model. And no amount, I mean the company has taken the Herald, the Journal the Saskatoon Star Phoenix, the Regina Leader Post, the Ottawa Citizen, they've all been stripped for parts. There's nothing nothing to keep alive anymore. Um, So whatever model you create, if you're propping up failing legacy media outlets, you're actually suppressing the capacity of something like Real Talk to exist and flourish. Mm -hmm. So we have to, you know, is the goal to support companies like Torstar and Postmedia, or is the goal to support access to information and news? And then you need to create very different models. And I had an interesting conversation with um, the Calgary journalist, Jen Gerson, who's the um, editor and uh, co-editor and co-founder of The Line. So Jen is a right of center, small C conservative media analyst, but she has this really impassioned argument that what the government should be doing is giving a whole bunch more money to the CBC and saying to the CBC, stop stop advertising. So stop competing for advertising revenue, but be there as a backstop for Canadians so that if we invest in public broadcasting, we can be sure that there will be reliable, <clears throat> pardon me, there will be reliable, trustworthy news that exists in the vacuum. But then otherwise, let the market find ways to support innovations like Real Talk that survive outside that old media uh, paradigm, because to pretend that we can go back to the way media was five or 10 years ago is not going to happen. I'm sorry, I'm amused as I'm looking at myself, the people listening to this audio can't tell but i'm sitting in my bedroom upstairs and as the sun is rising <laughs> i was just going to comment i'm getting lit you like are... you know it, it, it's like a scene in the movies where the <laughs> aliens are about to take me up to heaven but um uh you are so staring
0: fact- right into the light yeah <laughs> do you want do you want me to take a 30 second break so you can go close your blinds
2: no, not, there are no blinds. I, I promise the ride. Right. I will not move towards the light and leave no. you here. Okay,
0: because it, it's getting brighter and brighter. We're get, we're getting a sense of of where which direction your house faces and just, when exactly I, the sun rises this time of year.
2: I, I think perhaps what I could do is shift shift my chair. There you're, we go.
0: You 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 started like bright eyed, and then and then you just your eyes were slowly closing, <laughs> and to the point where you were talking almost with your eyes completely closed. But it's amazing. Yeah, it I'm, does. Lo- I'm a
2: li- I'm a little photosensitive, so yes, I see that the 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 change in the light is is. <laughs> sort of changing the back color of my walls, I'm sorry, if you're listening to this on audio, this is completely incomprehensible. It's okay, but, most uh, mo-
0: most will hear it on audio senator and 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 our YouTube viewers will get a real kick out of it so so you uh, I didn't intend to spend this we won't spend the whole time talking about this, but I just I enjoy picking your brain on this, so so you you've got. You know, a sort of, a, I would say not just a politician, not just Pierre because because conservative leaders um, and, uh, and and a lot of conservative loyalists as well have, have long sort of championed the idea of defunding the CBC, and it plays very well. Um, it plays very well because the premise being it's a it's a left leaning organization that has treated conservative politicians unfairly. You and I talk about bluffs and calling bluffs in in the context of Meta, Google, and the Canadian government. Um, If Pierre Polyev, or I might argue, when Pierre Polyev is the next prime minister of Canada, um, we could debate that if you like. uh, Do you think that's something he actually pursues? And if so, what would be your gut feeling on that? I mean, this is is a decades-long institution with long history uh, that I don't think I need to describe to people what the CBC has provided, but pretty steady, well-funded journalism across the country and internationally.
2: Yeah, and I worked, I mean... uh You know, to just to declare my interest, I worked for the CBC for five or six years at the beginning of my career as a as a radio producer. Um, So here's what I know about politicians now. I I mean, I knew this before I was a politician, but now I know it in spades. Politicians may talk a talk a line about hating the media, but what they really like is for people to pay attention to them. You know, circle back to our earlier discussion about narcissism in politics. Uh, No politician is going to get rid of the CBC because deep down even when they're getting press that is critical, they still love to be paid attention to by the CBC. I think it's entirely possible that there may be some really hard discussions going forward about the CBC's core mandate and whether it needs to be operating in certain spaces anymore, um, sports or even you know, popular culture spaces. Maybe it needs to be focused on the arts, which are not covered so well by the mainstream media and pay less attention to pop culture. Maybe it needs to focus more on news and less on uh, you know, comedy or uh, uh, drama programs that can be funded in different ways. But I think that we need the CBC as a news organization more now than ever. And I think it makes a convenient talking point when politicians are out of office, but I think once they get in office, uh, history shows that they don't in fact shut down the CBC. And I think at a time when other mainline media organizations are crumbling and are not gonna be fixed by being put on life support. I mean, you know, if you give Post Media an injection of a few million dollars, it's not going, to, I mean, nothing gets us back to where we were before the digitization of news. So. The CBC has been actually very, ad- pardon me. The CBC has been very agile in moving into the digital age. I mean, they've done quite a brilliant job of making sure that you don't have to wait until six o'clock or ten o'clock to watch the news. You can watch the news whenever you need to watch the news. They have made sure that they have a website that is one of the best in the business, and I think that um, even people who don't watch the CBC or listen to the CBC in their car, the way I always do, um, are still consuming a lot of CBC news because of, of the excellence of CBC's online presence. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you can't share that, uh, you know, see earlier comments when you can't share that on Facebook, um, they need to find new ways to get that, to get those news uh, stories out to people that don't rely on social media channels.
0: Donna's in our live chat. She says, reminder, she says Stephen Harper had a chance to get rid of the CBC, and he didn't. Uh, Polyev just strikes me as a little bit of a di- – he's wired a different way, though. Like, po- yeah, Polyev you – know, well, I mean, Har- Harper's not I mean, the, like, aha guy, right? Polyev yeah. is. He's the one that wants to throw the hand grenade. Like, he just strikes well, me as that.
2: It's it's possible. It's possible. I, I, I know this will astonish you, Ryan. Uh, Pierre Polyev doesn't – share his strategic plans with me That's on weird. the regular. That's so weird. Uh, <laughs> but, all right. So you wanted, I I do have a meeting uh, okay. in, in a couple of minutes. In with three minutes. So Do you want to talk about pensions? Do you want to talk about something else? I do quickly. Uh,
0: I can do two questions in three minutes. Uh, sorry, I didn't know about your meeting. Uh, in, two th- in 2021, Daniel Smith wasn't premier yet. There wasn't regular upfront open conversation about an Alberta pension plan what prompted you in 2021 to write for the Alberta Views magazine pension folly Alberta would be nuts to go it alone
2: oh well there was still plenty of talk back then um and I I mean Cassandra (laughs) am I uh I saw I saw years ago the way this was trending so you know Albertans no province in Canada has benefited more from the Canada Pension Plan than Alberta. No province. Because we are the province with the most mobile workforce. People come here to work when times are good, and we desperately need them to come here to work when times are good. And then people leave here when they retire because it's cold, and they move to Kelowna and they move to Victoria and they move to Comox, or they, you know, they go back to the Maritimes if that's where their roots are. So the portability of the Canada Pension Plan is Alberta's secret weapon. It allows us to bring workers here when we need them, and it allows Albertans to retire other places without even thinking about the seamlessness of their pension portability. So to pull Alberta out of the Canada Pension Plan would be a disaster for Alberta's economy. It would just be a car wreck. You know, when when the Alberta government says, well, Albertans pay in more than they take out That's because so many Albertans have the prosperity, having made having made a good living in this province, to retire to other places, whether that is to, you know, to British Columbia or to Arizona or Hawaii or wherever they choose to spend their retirement years. And so, yes, when you look at the chart, that money isn't coming back to Alberta, but it's coming back to people who earned their living in Alberta. So to pretend that somehow the province is being hard done by, I mean, it's, it's completely nonsensical. On top of that, um, you know, this this report that was prepared for the government that says that Albertans are actually, um, uh, you know, they they deserve 118 percent of the assets of the Canada pension plan, but that they'll settle for 53 percent. I mean, it's absurd on its face that 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 is not how numbers work. Um, why on earth would a province that is as small relative to the rest of the population be entitled to 53% of the assets of the Canada pension plan? And again, the money doesn't belong to Alberta. It belongs to people who happened to be working in Alberta when they earned that money. The money belongs to you. The money doesn't belong to the provincial treasury and wherever you go, when you retire, the money goes with you. So, you know, I. The idea that we would not bankrupt, but wound horrifically the Canada Pension Plan and punish other Canadians around the country by purporting to pull out 53 percent. It's so bad for Confederation. It's so bad for our national image. And it's so bad for companies in this province that need to recruit workers. So, you know, I've met with people, you know, from, you know, Deborah Yedlin with the Calgary Chamber of Commerce, who's one of the fiercest critics of this, not because she's some, you know, leftist uh, uh, person, but because she can see that for companies, even imagine if you're a multinational, not a multinational corporation, well, although them too, but imagine that you're a company that operates all across Canada, the incredible amount of paperwork and extra bother it would be to have an Alberta pension. There's just, there's no economic case for it. There's no political case for it. Um, And, you know, it really bothers me. I'm not sure that the province, just like I'm not sure Pierre Polyev is serious about defunding the CBC. I'm not sure that the Smith government or the Kenny government before it are serious about pulling out of the Canada pension plan. I think in some ways, it's just a convenient thing to get Albertans wound up. Because functionally... It's not like we can just take our take our ball and go home. The money doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the Canada Pension Plan, Um, and there's no mechanism that says we can just pull out however much money we want whenever it suits us. Uh, That's not a power that belongs to us.
0: Um, I uh, owe you an apology for running you right up against the clock. I didn't. No, no. I mean, I I, I didn't know you had a meeting. Um, I'm
2: meeting with Theatre Calgary shortly. To discuss, I oh, mean I, I have some. I have meetings with Senate as a senator with so many different groups. So I, I, thought, it was, I thought it was. I thought it was maybe morning. like
0: a meeting with other senators. I, I'm not afraid. No, of no. Piss, if it
2: were I, other senators, I'd just let them wait. We can we can but, piss
0: off theater Calgary just a tiny little bit. Just just
2: if I'm, just, if I'm five minutes just late, just for a minute, it because okay. it's
0: not the end of the world. Because um, I, I have to, and it feels kind of silly. Can I also acknowledge? We'll get you back. I'm about to talk to Tasha Carradine about the rise of anti semitism in Canada. It feels kind of foolish yeah. to not talk to you about that. Um, but I want to use this time wisely. I also want to make sure we have a chance to talk about your YAG quest, which has launched. OK, about, about Can we the touch chicken. on I both. Mean,
2: I mean, the rise the rise in anti-Semitism and the concurrent rise in Islamophobia really concern me. I mean, as somebody of Jewish descent, I am, of course, particularly and personally concerned about the rise of anti-Semitism. But what really horrifies me is the idea that Jews and Muslims in this country who have so much more in common than we do Um, that divides us. We can't let what is happening in Israel and Gaza become so toxic in Canada. Uh, We have to be able to separate however we feel about what is happening over there from the duty we owe one another as Canadians and as brothers and sisters to not let the violence and the bitterness and the horror of what is happening uh, thousands of miles away stop us from understanding that as Canadians we owe a duty of care to one another and to make sure that we don't let Islamophobia or anti-Semitism uh, stop us from being the best Canadians that we can be and to understand that frankly um, the real threat to the Jewish and Muslim communities in this Canada is not from one another but from uh, uh, radical right-wing racism that affects us both.
0: Hmm. Well said, Senator. Um, Let's close on a light note. Uh, People can check out the Instagram account, Hyundai Yeg Chick, uh, if they want to learn more (laughs) about you. I just love it. Your Yeg Quest, but you've kicked it off again uh, just this past week, and it is underway. Tell us what this is for people that don't know.
2: All right, so I've been doing these things off and on, not with any kind of regularity for 10 years now, um, having these scavenger hunts where I take this paper mache chicken and hide her in various parts of the city that are photogenic and make people go to those places and take pictures of themselves. And I did it for the first time 10 years ago when I was with the journal. Um, I did it uh, in 2020, that Christmas, when nobody could go out, You know, nobody could go anywhere and it, it would be fun to do. And then I did it last year, uh, tied to Hanukkah and to my concerns about anti-Semitism, so it was uh, Hanukkah, because she's a hen. (laughs) And when, I always meant to do it when the LRT finally opened the the valley line south, and then they just did it without really any advance notice. They're just like, hey, it's starting this Saturday. So I I went out with my husband and with the chicken, um, and we figured out six places for a mini-yegg quest, a half dozen clues that people could do up and down the valley line. Now, I have to say, People have not jumped to this quite as much as they have in past ones. And oh. I suspect it's because, in part, I'm not on Twitter anymore and because um, this happened without any advanced marketing. But uh, the people who have participated are clearly having a great time. There have been some wonderful photos that I've been able to share on Instagram and Facebook and Mastodon. <laughs> so yeah, there's still time to get quest. There's still time to solve the little rhyming clues and figure out where Hende has been. And you can find the clues. On my Senate Instagram account, on Hyundai's Instagram account, on my Senate Facebook page, and on my Mastodon account, which is at politics, as it always was on Twitter.
0: Yeah, there so. you go. I, I love it. It's so much fun. And you've, you've put a ton of work into it, by the way. And uh, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll put the links into the show notes here on the podcast on YouTube yes, so people can because, link you know, directly I mean, to it. it, it.
2: Is, it's silly, but it's also important because, you know, there has been uh, – this huge increase in crime on our LRT and in, and even more so in concern about crime on our LRT. And mm-hmm. the only way we get our LRT back is by using it and riding it. And eyes eyes on the street matters even more in train cars. So the more people ride the LRT, the safer it will be for everyone. And I really want to celebrate the fact that the Valley Line is finally, finally open. Finally. I want to celebrate the connection between downtown and Millwoods. I wanted to sort of... Um, Get people out of their houses, onto the train car. Uh, go look at the view of the river as the train goes uh, goes over the bridge. It is just remarkable. Go see a part of the city that maybe you haven't seen before, or certainly not seen from that angle, because um, it's fun to ride the train. And I'm a train geek. so
0: My son can't wait do, to ride it. We're going to do it go, soon. Go
2: do that. Go to take, take the kids and ride the train and uh, look for the chicken.
0: Hey, so blame your tardiness to, on yeah. us to theater Calgary Yeah, my
2: my, I, my staff is probably already making apologies
0: because uh, well, yeah you just you and, and please ask him not to hold it against my actor brother Kyle he would love to work for theater Calgary again <laughs> I don't know hey thanks senator it's always good to see you <laughs>
2: no. all right take, <laughs> all right. take, care. take
0: care you got it that's senator Paula Simons you can find her on Mastodon did you ever you never d- moved over to Mastodon did you
3: uh, no, I did not. Did you
0: set up an account at least? Did you like? <laughs> no, did you secure your name on there or anything like that?
3: Uh, no, which I usually do, but no, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, me neither. But I have been spending way, 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 way less time on. Uh Twitter? Twitter, X, what do we call it now? Tw- Which, I think we just call it Twitter. Nobody's I, call I it calling X. it X. Elon Musk calls it Anyways, an X. Nobody else does. And I rode the LRT yesterday for the first time in like five years. So Really? Funny, Did yeah. you ride
0: the new line, the Valley line, the, the, the
3: brand new? No, I took the line. I went right here about four blocks from the studio, and I went all the way to Century Park. So just a block, or a uh, stop past Southgate, and it was, a, it was a pretty good experience. And I, I bought an art card. Because I was just like, hey, I, I work downtown now. You yeah. know, My partner and I share a vehicle. Yeah. So sometimes she has a vehicle. I said, you know what? Instead of taking these expensive cabs and Ubers, yeah. if it's not too cold, I'm, I'm going to try this out. So I did it yesterday. Why not? And you know what? It was a pretty good experience. And there was... Of course, <laughs> There's, if, if you're taking public transportation, you know, there is going to sometimes be incidents. And it's funny that one happened on my very first one, but it wasn't bad. It was just, you know, uh, uh, someone who was clearly homeless and down on their luck was was kind of passed out in one of the train cars. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't even two stops and doors opened up and uh, a police officer and an EMS uh, got on the train and just asked the gentleman, hey, are you OK? Where are you headed? He was a little disillusioned. He had no shoes on. And they said, hey, jump off the train. We're going to get you, because your transfer's expired. We're going to get you a transfer, and we're going to get you a pair of shoes. No way. And I thought that was a great, it kind of, because I didn't know what was going to happen. I saw the guy there, and then I saw the doors open with the police officer, and I thought, oh, this could be bad. But it was great. It was a great experience, and everyone around was kind of like, oh, thank God, because he was kind of like laying there and rolling around. So yeah.
0: what well, Paul is right too. like the, the more people that use something, it's like when you talk about how do you improve safety downtown? It's like you get more people down there. Yeah. Right. What what makes people uh, feel particularly unsafe in a place like a downtown? It's when nobody's around and they're walking by themselves to their car. Exactly. Or and Walking by themselves to their hotel or whatever.
3: I will say the LRT, I, I walk down into it four blocks from here. There's a security guard right there. It got on the LRT. There was a security guard in my train car. I don't know if they're in every train car. And then and then that, that happened as well, where it was like, it, it was uplifting for me. I was like, wow, this was uh, this was a pretty good experience. Good to hear it. That experience was transferring to the bus after uh, right around 4 o'clock. Man, there's a lot of kids trying to get out to Chappelle, and like I had like, there's so many, and the Chappelle bus pulls up, and they all run. They, they know that, like... Johnny doesn't run anymore. No, I, had, I waited for the second
0: load. When's the last time you sprinted? I heard an amazing statistic. I don't know if this is fact check. I don't know if it's true, but I read that more than 80% of people will never sprint again after their 30th birthday.
3: What? Would you believe it? I mean if I get scared I need to run. I'm 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 gone. The
0: friend that told me this often has statistics <laughs> that he materializes out of nowhere. So I don't know if this was just a creative one on his part mm. but but uh, coming up in just a second, we're going to talk to Tasha Carradine. Uh, she's going to get into a, her National Post piece with us. And and uh, we've also got some great emails from you. But I want to remind you that this episode is happening with the support of amazing partners like our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. And I want to draw your attention to their Instagram today at Grand Dog Essentials. Check this out. This is amazing. They've decided to partner. Have you heard of the Yemniska Wolf Dog Sanctuary? I know a lot of you may have visited this place on vacation. You've taken your kids out there. It's it's amazing what they're doing out there. These, these are like, it's kind of your opportunity. I don't know the technical science of like what wolf dog means and if they're wolves or dogs or crossbred or whatever, but this is a sanctuary for basically wild animals that you can mingle with. It's I've seen people post photos. These these animals, these dogs, these wolves, whatever you want to call it, these wolf dogs are magnificent. They're stunning and our friends at Grand Dog Essentials are now the official supplier of of raw food to those wolf dogs at uniska sanctuary just outside Cochrane, alberta so they're donating raw food for these wolf dogs so they can focus on what they do best which is providing education and awareness around responsible wolf dog ownership this is so cool when you feed grand dog essentials raw food to your dogs you can now proudly say that your pack is eating wolf dog approved food Just like ours, Moses and Monroe. We're so proud of our family-owned team, the partners at Grand Dog Essentials for this. I can't believe they're donating it. This is like, this is a significant... Johnny, 110 pounds of raw food they're (laughs) donating daily. That's They're donating almost 800 pounds of food a week. That's amazing. Unbelievable! So a big shout-out to our friends at Grand Dog Essentials. Give them a follow on Instagram, will you? Also want to shout-out the team at California Closets. They're in the business of helping you feel more comfortable, more organized, more settled in your space with custom closets and storage solutions for the entire home. If you're the guy that's got his suit jacket draped over the Peloton right now, I'm literally describing myself. Uh, If you're the person that's looking for an extension cord in the garage for 45 minutes, and then you find it under the spare tires and it's been there for six months, You need California closets. It's not just closets. They do workspaces. They do garage installations, storage rooms. You need a Murphy bed in the guest room because it's doubling as a home office. They do that too. You can get a quote today, a free consultation by visiting californiaclosets.ca. If the investment you're making in your home is more on the sustainable energy side, you're gonna wanna make sure that you check out kubienergy.ca today. Number one, because the quote is free. And number two, it's a perfect time of year to do it. They can get the ball rolling on not just the design, you know how those solar panels are gonna perfectly integrate into your roof, your barn, your storage area, your warehouse, whatever it is, but also the paperwork. A lot of times there's government subsidies available that could be municipal, provincial, federal, kubi does all the paperwork so you don't have to worry about it they're providing solar energy solutions to power your life oh and by the way they're hiring as well if you're an electrician or an apprentice and you want to join the green movement a sustainable career make sure you check out kubieenergy.ca. our friends at complete care restoration want to remind you that they're about more than just getting folks back on their feet from fire and flood damage. That's a big part of what they do, helping people get their lives back, their businesses, their homes after disaster strikes. But they're also a team of professionals, full service trade staff that can perform any construction or renovation tasks to homes and businesses, whether it's insulation, drywall, painting, carpentry, cabinetry, you name it. They can either restore your home to where it was before, or they can reinvent a new space, help you get that basement developed or convert that office space to a condo. They do jobs big and small at Complete Care Restoration.
3: Well, I tell you, I'd be sprinting if I saw a wolf dog with a full belly following me home. <laughs>
0: no, it's better if it's a full belly. You don't want it hungry. You don't want it hungry. I'm trying to wrap my mind around like, we get when grand dog drops off the boxes. Uh, for us It's like weekly drop off They deliver right to your door By the way mm-hmm. uh, They're 40 pound boxes And that'll last the dog For a while right yeah. So like 40 How long pa- exactly Well I mean So they, they, they They're they one pound uh, Tubes basically They come frozen so You month, throw month, them Month and a half So month it's like a about bit. a month yeah. yeah but you know You're feeding your dogs Twice a day That type of thing But I'm trying to wrap my mind Around 110 pounds a day <laughs> And like as a donation, just to shout out, that's meat, man. That's not cheap, right? Is They're not, you know, uh, although nothing's cheap these days. Rob wrote in from Wetaskiwin, Alberta. Shout out to Rob. And he was just talking about uh, Alberta pensions. Uh, Interesting to chat with the senator about that. And you can, by the way, read her piece. Uh, It's a couple of years old, but but the argument holds in Alberta Views. You can just Google Paula Simon's pension folly and you'll find it or search the archives at albertaviews.ca. Don't forget, by the way, quick shout out. The promo code AVRJ, A-V-R-J uh, gets you 50% off a one-year subscription to Alberta Views Magazine, which is an amazing deal, also delivered to your door. But Rob writes in and he says, I haven't been able, Jespo, to take part in these pension town hall meetings, but I did want to express my opposition to the idea. Figures that Real Talk is the platform to do it. He says, the government's misleading people uh, by using incomplete information. He says, none of us know how much money would be transferred Uh, from the Canada Pension Plan to the APP, but we've got all of a sudden, like, guaranteed uh, payments the same or higher, says the Alberta government. Contributions the same or lower. How do they know? He says, and plus, we're just ignoring massive transition costs. Uh, Rob says all of the assumptions by the government are based off one report that basically contradicts a report from a few years ago in 2019. He says the new one doesn't address unfunded liabilities, the 2019 report correctly points out that the CPP is protected against interference, political interference by the feds in particular, whereas a provincial pension, I don't think that's the case. Rob says the Treasury Board currently, Alberta-wise, can can direct AIMCO. Uh, you know, that's Alberta Investment Management Corporation. He says on, on where to invest money, the Treasury Board can direct AIMCO. Uh, Premier Smith has said that this is a reason to pursue a provincial pension plan this hasn't even been mentioned in government propaganda uh, the cpp has consistently outperformed aimco uh, i'm gonna hear from my buddies that work at aimco he says all of these are reasons to stay in the cpp he says now now I, i've emailed minister horner nate horner you heard him on this show the finance ministry he says i've emailed him and and the minister suggested to me that i read the lifeworks report uh, that was the morno Chappelle report he says i have and the report is created to mislead the government's plan to make a multi multi billion dollar decision should not be based off faulty flawed numbers and as the minister put it more than a feeling you, so, you want me to cue the song i was just wondering if you wanted to jump in and just give <laughs> us the...
3: <laughs> <My> <laughs> <opinion>.
0: okay <laughs> no responsible person says rob would probably take issue with us polluting his email with our singing. No responsible person would allow their parent or grandparent to sit down and discuss handling their investment funds or handing them over to somebody that makes promises based on fabricated numbers. Any responsible person would see guaranteed claims of higher returns and lower payments is too good to be true. And Minister Horner said that there's nothing more emotional than someone's pension. I couldn't disagree more. Uh, the UCP is trying to capitalize on Albertan's emotional response to Ottawa's controlling my pension, Rob. Through a bullseye right there he says i don't even know if the finance minister understands that important financial decisions should not be emotional they should be based on sound numbers not emotions he says, uh, real talk, please consider this email on behalf of a family of five as 100 percent opposed to the idea of an Alberta pension plan, regardless of who the provincial or federal government is. I don't want my CPP commandeered by the provincial government. That from Robin Witaska, who sent us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com.
3: He's not down with APP he ain't
0: down with APP you notice there's been less and less talk about this though mm-hmm. right it's kind of like fading as soon as as soon as this bombshell dropped and everybody was talking about changes to Alberta health care uh, for obvious reasons fewer and fewer people are talking about the Alberta pension plan which by the way Rob emailed in as well uh, Rob with two B's I like that fireman Rob says real talk he says uh, you know your episode on the Alberta Health overhaul we had a couple of them last week if you missed it he says a listener uh wrote in uh, in your live chat wondering why a government well, we this was me being not a, not a conspiracy theorist but just throwing out to you suggesting that when rachel notley said she didn't know who leaked those documents who leaked the provincial government's plan to to change ahs i suggested that It could very well have been the premier's office that leaked it. You don't know. Mm -hmm. We never know. I'm not saying they did, and I'm not saying they didn't. So Rob with two B's says, you know, listener wonders, why would a government leak documents to the NDP? Well, the answer is simple, to draw the media's focus away from the Alberta pension plan. Uh, He says, Daniel Smith and her government worked the same theories as Donald Trump did down in the States. Dodge and weave, zig then zag, keep the course. Everybody in Alberta, who's the voting age, needs to be more skeptical of this government. There's way too many details in the fine print in something as big as a $27 billion healthcare industry in Alberta. That from Fireman Rob. Appreciate your email as well. You can always be in touch with us to talk at Mm -hmm. RyanJesperson.com. Do we want to talk about LaGrange? Do you want to get into it, Monique? Yeah. You're, you're talking. So we talked to Adriana, the minister. Yeah, I'm talking uh, about I, Monique. Monique. I, I understand that there is a loose relation here, but they're not like directly related. So I was not, I was unclear on so, that because so I heard the now former school board trustee in Red Deer. Uh, Monique LaGrange apparently is like related through marriage or something like that to Adriana. But my understanding is like they're I don't know if they spend Christmases together. I don't know that it matters. The point is just that that how are they related? We talk in Alberta politics of two LaGrange's. There's the health minister, Adriana, who joined us last week. And then there's Monique, who is the school board trustee. Well, she's not anymore. (laughs) Uh, So so you remember this was this was the school board trustee uh, down in Red Deer who had posted that photo. Uh, it was like a meme, I guess that that basically talked about propaganda. And she basically said, "Brainwashing is brainwashing, right? Mm-hmm. Brainwashing is brainwashing." And then she shows a photo of, of like Nazi youth of young kids in probably nineteen thirties Germany, maybe maybe into the forties. Um, young kids from ninety years ago, basically with with swastikas waving swastika flags. Young kids uh, looking happy, being indoctrinated, <laughs> big smiles on their face with the swastikas in their hands. Yeah, um, and, and then a bunch of kids in like a kindergarten class, which by the way, also just saying like, if this is like not the waving pride flags to get to the point, young kids with pride flags, number one, um, if that's a local photo, that's violating FOIP, by the way. Like mm. when I go do read-in week, like they get recognizable people to go read to kids in classrooms one week every year. Mm-hmm. You can't post photos of the kids' faces in classrooms. That's like a number one rule of any classroom. So maybe a school board trustee should know better, but that's obviously not the point. Well,
3: I was wondering when I saw it, like, did she put this together or did she just screenshot? She probably she was probably on social media and screenshotted
0: yeah. Well, somebody she else just stole it from somebody else. This, and, right. You know. And she, so, yeah. So she gets so she gets in a, a position um, and uh, basically uh, people are calling for her head. People are calling for her job for obvious reasons. Like people are like, this is a horrific comment. I don't think we need to explain why, Mm -hmm. Uh, comparing the Holocaust to pride, uh, uh, comparing anti-Semitism to pride. uh, uh, I I think that we're probably most of us on the same page on that one, why that's a problem. So anyway, so she gets so she's basically like kind of sanctioned in a way. Um, The Red Deer Catholic Board, uh, after a code of conduct complaint, had had basically imposed a no media clause. OK, and so there was a no media clause except for LaGrange decided to do a show uh, hosted by uh, a guy. Now, this name is going to is going to resonate with some people. Um do you remember, I'm putting you on the spot, I don't know if you remember the name Alan Huntsberger. I want you to think back to 2012. This is 11 years ago. Daniel Smith was set to be Premier of Alberta. The opposition Wild Rose Party was surging, and there was very good reason to believe that Daniel Smith, leader of the Wild Rose, was going to form government, except a candidate in South Edmonton oh, the comment. by the name of Alan Huntsberger. I remember now. A sermon surfaced where he talked about gays burning in the lake of fire. Mm-hmm. And the lake of fire became the theme of the 2012 provincial election.
3: He also said some racial stuff, didn't he? Uh, I don't remember. About, probably
0: yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I I would suggest if you think that gays are burning in a lake of fire, you, you, you maybe have judgment have issues in, in some other areas as well. So so Alan Huntsberger is the lake of fire guy. He yeah. is the source. Yeah. He is the, what would you call it? Like when, when the water, the, he is like the headwater of the lake <laughs> of fire. Like when the water comes off the glacier down to the, Okay. Alan Huntsberger is the headwater of the lake of fire. He's the guy. Okay. So he's got a show, um, which I didn't know about. You probably don't know about it either. Maybe you do. Um, he's got a show called talk truth and, uh, this show, um, Mr. Hunsberger is the president of the House Ministries of Toe I feel like I'm doing an advertisement for him right now. Fuck Alan Hunsberger, by the way. <laughs> Just if to cut to the chase. If I'm going to mention his show and where he's from, I'm also going to mention that he can go fuck himself. Um, but, but Monique LaGrange, the sanctioned Red Deer Catholic trustee, Uh, who was prohibited from doing any media, appeared on a show on October 19th with Alan Huntsberger called Talk Truth. And she has now been, as is being reported by Josh Hall with Red Deer News now, who does an amazing job down in Red Deer. Shout out to Josh Hall. He's been down there for a long time doing a great job uh, keeping people in central Alberta informed. As his reporting goes, after her second code of conduct complaint, the Red Deer Catholic Board has removed trustee monique lagrange uh for violating her no media sanctions which of course will just turn her into like a martyr of course like now all of the people that are like she's silencing me she clearly doesn't care mm-hmm. if she yeah. has a no media clause and then goes and does a a, a show a talk show that like 11 people are going to hear with one of the most infamous people in recent alberta political Ooh. history She's obviously looking to poke the bear. hundred percent. She's obviously, she's saying, I dare you to, I dare you to can me. Mm -hmm. And a shout out to the Red Deer Catholic board for doing it. And for standing by its word, a sanction doesn't mean much if you're not going to make it stick. And if you're not going to, you know, give it teeth. Mm -hmm. And so it's got teeth and then she's gone. Um, I want to get to, uh, and I'm wondering if maybe uh, Tasha's encountered something. Tasha's not here yet. She's not here, which is fine. We'll we'll circle back with her. We'll get her back on another show.
3: We still have a a nice comment that you wanted to talk about as well from uh, YouTube. Do you want me to, oh, do you uh, want to get
0: into this? <laughs> I thought this was so. I, I said this to you because I was giggling yesterday. I said it to you, but if you have it loaded, we can bring it up. So yesterday we have Bruce Arthur on the show, and Bruce is like a national columnist. He's he's obviously Incredibly got a huge voice, a very intelligent guy. We were talking yesterday about whether or not uh, manslaughter charges are warranted in Adam Johnson's tragic death, the hockey player that was cut by Matt Patgrave's stick or his skate blade rather. Um, Matt Patgrave was arrested by police in Britain. He's not been charged, so he's been released on bail that's why they're not i don't
3: understand that don't you have to be charged to to have to post bail i don't don't understand in
0: in britain it's a little bit and i was i've been trying to read up on this because i and we're going to be talking about on the show we should know what we're talking about so the reason why matt Patgrave's name has not been released by british police is because he has not been charged okay so you can be released on bail without ponying up cash. Oh, okay. If you've been arrested on suspicion of manslaughter is how they, they'll they say a man was arrested on suspicion of manslaughter and then released on bail. He has not been charged. Okay. But he has been arrested and the investigation is ongoing.
3: Because normally bail is you've been charged with something your court date's exactly. coming up. Now you got to get out. And, if
0: you qualify yeah. for bail and exactly. So that's it's how it works a here. A little bit different there. So you can be released on bail without uh, you know, putting up cash uh, if you have not yet been charged. And that is the case with Matt Patgrave. So the point is, Bruce Arthur comes on and he's talking about that. The guy's been writing about sports in in the uh, you know the nation's either first or second biggest newspaper. Take your pick whether the Globe and Mail or the Toronto Star is bigger. But he's a star columnist. And then he talks to us about a column of his. Uh, recommend you check out yesterday's show. Uh, that would be the uh, what's today, Johnny? What's the date today? <laughs> it's the 16th. Today's the sixteenth. <laughs> so that was the November fifteenth episode. I just recognize people hear these episodes all the time. If we're saying yesterday, they don't know what yesterday is. So the November fifteenth episode. And so uh, Bruce comes on to talk about that, and then talks about how the internet and how social media is making everything worse, including commentary on the Israel-Hamas war and everything else. Really good interview. I mean, it went double the length that we thought it yeah, would. We it talked to him real. for like hour but i love this comment from Don, and i just it, it just made me laugh um and and a lot of times things will things i like, like to read it if will, i could <laughs> you want to read it so things will pop by in the in the live chat and i don't <laughs> see them because i'm focusing on a million things but this one made us laugh
3: not surprised that real talk searched out a leftist activist to comment on a sports issue are there no sports people available who don't make their politics known yeah that from Don. i didn't even think he said anything left we we're just talking <laughs> of course about he didn't Injuries in sports and I mean, there was a little talk about what's going on over, you know, in Gaza and, and Israel because everyone has to talk about it. But nothing was
0: it, it's just nothing. No, it's, it's nothing was,
3: was waving a flag. This and stuff all. makes so, me laugh.
0: And I love and I love when people like like a leftist activist, like if you want to meet a leftist activist. Activist, I can introduce you to a few. They they chain themselves to old growth trees, right? Like they're they're down, they're down at City Hall talking about, and I'm not laughing at what they're talking about, but things like land back and all like that. Mm-hmm. Like leftist activists, can we can we agree that words are losing their meaning when people like Dawn are such snowflakes and such pretty little flowers that if they hear a national columnist like Bruce Arthur talking about a hockey injury, they have to somehow try to drag Justin Trudeau into it just to muddy the waters. Anyway, Don, I just wanted to (laughs) thank you for your comment. I just wanted to let you know it made both of us laugh. And and, and in all seriousness, we do appreciate you checking out the show.
3: We love you bumping our algorithm.
0: We love you, buddy. (laughs) Uh, Hey, speaking of national columnists, our next guest is exactly that. Tasha Carradine is a renowned political commentator. She's a political analyst. She's an author. And of course, you've seen her on this show before. It's so nice to have you back. Thank you for making time for us.
1: Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm in New York in a very tiny hotel room. So it's, uh, <laughs> are, the,
0: are there big, like, are there palatial hotel rooms that aren't 10 grand in New York? I don't know.
1: I know I, this one's not, uh, but it's, it's very tiny. It's a shoebox, Like literally I'm, you know, there's, there's no closet. It's yeah. actually
0: just hooks on the wall. Hey, yeah. so so you you and I have been colleagues uh, previously in, in, in my terrestrial radio career. And I, it's OK if I describe you as a conservative commentator, right? You don't push. Is that you all can right? You do that. Yeah. Okay. Small
1: C. It's like a small C. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Small C conservative.
0: Yeah. You call them how you see them. You're not afraid to hold any government or any politician to account. We're having some fun with a critic of ours uh, from yesterday's live chat that was describing Bruce Arthur as a le- leftist activist. I heard. That. As he was talking about hockey. <laughs> hey, do you do you fear that words are losing their meaning i mean on the fun side we can say leftist activists but on on the other side people are calling people communists and nazis these days and it's almost like nobody remembers what these words actually mean
1: well to to that point yeah people are throwing the word nazi around without you know understanding at all what it is calling people nazis um it used to be that you didn't you you would avoid using that word you didn't talk you you know that that whole subject was like let's we've gone past that let's leave it alone. But now um, you're hearing it being thrown around in contexts where it makes absolutely no sense. And I, I, you know, I've written about this. A lot of people have the sense that younger people in particular have lost a sense of history. And t- to your point, these terms now are being used in ways they were never intended because people don't even fully know what they're talking about.
0: I totally agree. Well, I mean, let's get right into your piece. Uh, You published this, uh, the National Post published it on Remembrance Day. Uh, The headline, we said we'd never forget the Holocaust, but Gen Z has nothing to remember. Uh, Can you take us into it?
1: Sure. Um, What I was talking about there was the fact that you got a high percentage of young people, much higher compared to older people, um, who uh, support or think that the actions of October 7th can be contextualized, um, that, uh, you know, that there is a certain righteousness in retribution here. um, And the reason that they believe that, I firmly believe, is because there's also research that shows that young people don't even know. The holocaust happened um you know two-thirds of, of american young people don't know about the holocaust um one i think in i, have a, I don't have stats exactly but there's one in ten think that the jews actually caused the holocaust so when you have this kind of ignorance of history um it's impossible for you to make a valid judgment in the present and this is why you know to the, the the discourse we're hearing about um colonization in particular being applied to uh, the jewish people and saying they are that they are never they're not oppressed they're the oppressor ignores 2000 years of history it ignores the holocaust it ignores all these things that came before that pe- young people don't know and they don't know because they don't talk about things that happened 75 years ago and we have to get back into that space of talking about these things that are timeless and important and need to be remembered
0: it, it kind of interesting to see news develop just within this last week in Alberta uh, as, as the the provincial government announced that Holocaust education is to be mandatory in uh, Alberta's new social studies curriculum. And the recurring theme that I saw from people commenting online was, wait, it, it's not already? Uh, a lot of people are saying, right. well, I learned about the Holocaust in school, but I, I thought it was significant. I thought it was interesting, especially considering current day, you know, current events and what's happening right now.
1: It is. And um, they're beefing up Holocaust education <clears throat> in Ontario too. Uh, it's going to be part of the curriculum. Um, but as I put in the piece, uh, it's fine to teach it in schools. I think we should 100%, we should teach it in schools. But that is not how you get into the hearts and minds of people uh, generally, and also not this generation in particular. Um, you know, I recall growing up, the Holocaust was not. It was taught, but it was more absorbed through conversation with people who had actually lived through it. Those people are not around for the most part anymore, but also through social and not social media, but, but popular culture and popular media. So films like Sophie's Choice and Schindler's List, um, you know, books like The Diary of Anne Frank, which were read in school, which were studied. Um, these kinds of cultural touchstones meant more and made it much more living and alive and, and real to my generation and uh, I think the ones that came before, than any kind of teaching in school would do. And that's what's not happened. I mean, Schindler's List was made in 1993. It's how old I am, right? Um, but 1993, there hasn't been a major film like that about the Holocaust since. And now there are different stories that are living on the big and small screen, and they're not those stories, and they have a counter-narrative. And that's what young people absorb in their popular culture on TikTok and their daily lives. And it is very pernicious. It is very one-sided, but it appeals to them emotionally and you can't really fault them for that so i'm not blaming i'm just saying we have to do a better job of bringing this narrative back into popular culture
0: i can't believe schindler's list was 30 years ago um, i know that's unbelievable i <laughs> mean
1: it, i know
0: unbelievable hey so you t- you talk about a counter narrative what do you mean by that
1: Okay. So there's a counter narrative is the story in large part of, um, people in the Palestinian territories or people who feel that, that Israel has done them wrong. Um, and I cite one particular example of a film, um, about a little girl. Uh, her name is, um, Wifa who lives in Palestine and it, she actually lives in Lebanon, but her, her family came from Palestine and it's a film about her, uh, She's called The Tower. It was made by a Norwegian filmmaker and has won a number of prizes. Um, It's very moving. Uh, It's an animated, you know, like the Disney style animation, a bit cruder, but it's still that style of, you know, um, cute animation. And it tells the story of her family and how they were driven out of Palestine and ended up in Lebanon in a refugee camp. And the imagery is very clear. Um, You know, you have trucks with Stars of David on them, soldiers. Uh, forcing her grandfather to leave his, you know, his village, shooting, burning things down. Um, he has to leave his beloved dog behind. It's very emotional, um, and you see the scars in her family of this experience. And of course, um, it is called the Nakba in in uh, Palestine, um, uh, the catastrophe, right? And so it's referred to repeatedly. So if you're an 11 year old kid, or even you know, any any kid or any Gen Z watching this you're going to say, you know what, um, this is, and I see uh, There, you got scenes of it, you're going to say this is, this is the reality. This is, yeah, I felt terrible. I identify with this child. And why wouldn't you? And you don't know the history that came before you don't know that there were, um, you know, Jewish people who were exiled from the same uh, piece of property, same land that that had their houses burned down that had to live in attics and be concealed, and, you know, were killed just because of their faith. You don't know that stuff. If you don't know it, this whole thing is your reality. And so you're going to sympathize with Palestine. You're going to sympathize with them and say they're oppressed and the Jews are bad. Like that's the message of the film, basically. Um, and this is the kind of film that's being that's being shown. And so where is the where's the other narrative? Where's where are the narrative saying, you know, the Anne Frank narrative It's disappeared. It's been replaced by stuff like this. I right now it's like one of
0: the things that we've been wrestling with on this show and I I just basically from the keeping it real standpoint I'm like what happened on October 7th is horrific Uh, what's happening in Gaza right now is horrific I mean the the death toll of of children alone over 4,000. Um, is just such a huge punch to the gut, and I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around it. The rise of anti-Semitism in Canada and around the world is undeniable. The Islamophobia on display is undeniable, but it almost feels unpalatable or unacceptable for people to acknowledge both. As Bruce put it yesterday, he said it almost, not not his exact words, but he said it's like people are cheering for teams. It's almost like it's the Super Bowl where people are planting their flags. How are you reconciling that?
1: Well, what's been lost in here, and you know, don't get me wrong, I think it's horrible that 4,000 children have died. I think it's awful that Gaza is a wasteland, but whose fault is that? And that's what you have to, what's being lost here completely is the role of Hamas in this entire exercise. Um, The Palestinian people themselves are oppressed by Hamas. Yes, they voted them in as a government, but you can't find all Palestinians who will say cheering for Hamas and how great they are. In fact, there are many, many people who have been talked to um, in Gaza itself, who said they haven't let us leave when we were asked to be evacuated. They haven't, you know, they've di- they've diverted the money that was given to them by the Qatari government uh, for the well-being of the Palestinians to build tunnels and buy rockets. This is the problem. And so what I would like to see, there's a, there's a way to reconcile this, is that if governments around the world and, and politicians said, you know, we will form a united front and get out Hamas. We want the Palestinian people to be free of Hamas, yes, and build themselves lives. And you know, have a two-state solution was was also part of my you know political growing up. That was what everyone wanted, what was offered on multiple occasions. And negotiations always failed. There was always a sticking point, a refusal. It didn't happen. Um, Hamas is an outgrowth of the Muslim brotherhood. They actually predate ISIS, though their tactics are very similar to ISIS. And they are not an organization that will ever settle for peace. So the, the, that is the problem and that is where the focus has to be for both sides and this is what's lost on the crowd that is screaming and boycotting israeli businesses and jewish jewish businesses and putting graffiti on do you understand that what you're doing is exactly what they want you to do because hamas wants to have they want to get rid of the jewish state but they're not looking out for you a state run by hamas would not be a nice place to live so the Palestinians themselves have to have this consciousness. I, I'm not, you know, I don't want to speak for them, but I'm just saying that 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 is the bridge to me. That is the common factor is that that is what is causing this issue. It, you know, you don't see this in the West Bank. There are lots of problems there, too, but they're not like this.
0: Um, I, I'm curious to know for for your take on what the Canadian government should be doing about this. I mean, the international community, I think it's sort of widely acknowledged. Uh, let me know if you disagree that no nation is going to call or, or press Israel or, or let me say press for a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas until the United States does. That seems to be kind of like conventional wisdom. Um, in a rare occurrence, as the, the CIJA has has posted, the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs, um, criticism of Canada's prime minister, of Justin Trudeau, from both Israel's prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, as well as Yair Lapid, the leader of the opposition. Both of them. Uh, criticizing the prime minister's comments, uh, which they say fails to recognize Israel's right to self-defense as basically Canada's prime minister argued that Israel needs to do absolutely everything it can and, and show restraint um, in its military aggression in that region. What do you make of that development of the Canadian government, in particular the prime minister's involvement in this and the role of the international community?
1: Well, the international community, again, um, you know, the coalition of the willing to combat ISIS. And that is really what should have happened here. Um, It didn't happen, I think, in part because the actions of October 7th were so swift and horrendous. The fear in Israel was they would be repeated October 8th or 9th or 10th. They're like, you know, the rockets kept coming. Um, There was no no sense of of safety anywhere in the country. Uh, People were were terrified and they really they felt. And Hamas has said since we're going to do this over and over and over again. So their their fear was justified that this could repeat unless action was taken so they took action yes uh pretty draconian action we've yes it's no question and the had the rest of the world come in and said you know what we're going to join forces with you and help you root out hamas um i think we'd be maybe looking at a different picture they did not the united states has not called for a ceasefire because a ceasefire um without the return of any hostages or any quid pro quo of any kind is meaningless. You know, we forget that there are like, you know, up to 200 people that are still being hidden in tunnels and God knows what is happening to them. Um, on the other side, in, in Gaza, they may not even be alive anymore. We, we don't know is the point. Um, but that there is that, that is the problem, the ceasefire of what and then what? Because that's the thing. If Hamas cannot, if Hamas runs Gaza, continues to run Gaza, this will happen again so this goes back to what i was saying originally the international community has to take a stand and say we're against terrorism and this is terrorism terrorism doesn't settle anything doesn't improve the lives for people um and it's it's not going to solve the huge you know endless problem it seems in the middle east of of finding a way to reconcile the rights of palestinians and jews to live in peaceful societies which will be probably separate societies yes but what will those form will that take um i think the prime minister you know his calling for violence to stop and the way he did it was very different than Emmanuel Macron. Macron was doing it in an interview context, and he acknowledged the hostage issue. And Trudeau did as well, but not in the – he was standing at a press conference, basically heckling or lecturing Netanyahu, um, who doesn't take to being you know, lectured, as one knows. Uh, and I don't know what he wanted to achieve there. He said, didn't achieve anything, frankly.
0: Um, Wally's watching now in the live chat, and he says it sounds like Tasha's saying that it's okay to flatten Gaza to get to Hamas. No.
1: Now I don't think you have to... No, that was to flattening Gaza to get to Hamas. The reason that Gaza is being flattened is because Hamas is hidden under hospitals. Hamas has used schools as, as human shields. They've they've done this for years. It's been known, actually. It's, there's footage as far as 15 years back uh, of a comedian making a joke about the fact that the Shifa hospital is basically a Hamas hideout. So institutions and physical buildings, yes, the problem is getting people out of that of that space that so they are not killed in those attacks to get rid of Hamas's uh, infrastructure and Hamas like I said as themselves has said has prevented people from leaving people have not left they are they are a martyr group they want to have as many martyrs as they can it's it's horrible frankly i think it's horrible and it it is heartbreaking and it is awful and i don't want to see this happen either i think that rooting hamas out with international cooperation would maybe have taken a different look i don't know but the point is you know i'd like to know what people how, how people want to square of a circle and get rid of the terrorist group that went in and murdered you know 1200 people in cold blood in ways that we haven't seen you know outside of slasher films quite frankly yeah um, you know what do you do about that what if it happened here what would you do what would you say to the canadian government to do
0: well yeah i mean i've i mean we've we like asked that uncomfortable but necessary and direct question I know. Like, what would you do if if terrorists stormed the edmonton folk music festival and murdered 270 people like, what would be the appropriate response to that? Um, I, I, I like I just I, I don't know. And I don't have an answer here because I just know like someone I know how it's going to go. I mean, I, I'm going to read an email after I talk to you from Crystal and it's an impassioned email. And Crystal, I mean, there's there's one line in her email where she basically says, I'm so scared uh, to wear my star, star of David. I've not been able to go to classes during protests for my own safety. But there is little to no acknowledgement in these places. We read an email yesterday from Michael who basically called the show Zionist and and basically said that, you know, I mean, so and and I'm going to keep reading these emails because I think it's important to have these conversations. It's important to hear these perspectives, but but I find it frustrating which is such a tepid word but but it's just very disheartening it, it feels impossible to have a conversation about this you say well what do you expect them to do for you know 12 or 1400 people murdered in cold blood in one day and then everyone says oh so you're okay with four thousand kids being buried under rubble and bombed to death and of course not like of course no, not i'm
1: not no i mean th- th- no one is okay with that The question is exactly said like what what do you do um and and self-defense for Israel means getting rid of Hamas. That is the, the ultimate self-defense means getting rid of it. Because if, as long as Hamas exists, and they have said this in a, you know interview just two weeks ago, we will do this again and again and again. Our goal is to get rid of Israel. And this is this is what these pro to the protests we're seeing. This is where the issue really lies. Because it, the protests are not calling for um, you know some ceasefire, yes, and 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 uh, other things, but they're really fundamentally calling for Israel to be dismantled as a state and saying you know from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That means free of Jews. It means that Palestine will be the entire entire territory. And that has never been on. That has not been on. And in the Palestinian mandate the British had before 1948, by the way, um, they ran Palestine. Palestine was not a self-governing nation. They, they wanted to move towards self-governance. Um, and they ended up in 1948 with the state of Israel in territories that were considered Ha, where you had Palestinians, as they were then called, they weren't called Palestinians before the mandate. But you had Arabs, you had Bedouins, you had other people who did live there and had lived there for millennia in some cases. As had Jews lived in those territories, people forget that too. Jews never really fully left; they just had less of a presence than they had historically. So you know, who is the colon, who is the oppressed and the colonizer? It's varied throughout history, back and forth. But the Jews were driven out. They have been driven out. They have been persecuted um you know you would say people who are persecuted should have their should have a homeland and guess what um in this case that homeland was israel so are you saying now they should leave i mean I, it it doesn't make sense either it is an is an awful problem i agree it is an absolutely awful problem and we're the fact we're still dealing with it now um, this many years later is, is heartbreaking too.
0: If you're like me, you have friends that, that, you know, recognize that you pay attention to international affairs and you know, your politics and, and they probably say to you, Tasha, how's this going to end or how is this going to resolve itself? Or will this ever end? What do you say to them?
1: Well, I say to them, there've been moments where one thought it was, there was an end in sight, you know, the Oslo Accords and other, other times during history where uh, two state solutions seemed like it was going to happen. And, Then it didn't happen. And each time it was a refusal to accept a less than, um, you know, a territory that was less than what was, I guess, desired at the time by the Palestinians or the Palestinian leadership. And you have to distinguish, again, between the leadership and people, because not all the people are on board with what their leaders are doing, especially what what Hamas is doing. Um, So I don't know how it's going to end. I I don't know. I fear for how this is going to end, because um, I think it's part of a larger, also geopolitical picture uh, that is turning very nasty very fast in many places of the world. We are seeing the resurgence of war, you know, in theaters that we thought we would not, like Ukraine, Europe, here now the Middle East. Um, will we see it now in Asia, uh, in Taiwan? Maybe not, because I think China has now got the opposition there to uh, unite so that they might defeat the candidate who is not favorable to China, thereby avoiding a war. Huh. I guess maybe, but at the same time, you know, I fear China's China is. is just as great an empire um, or evil empire, the Communist Party there as the, as the Soviets were back in, you know, ni- the 90s and the 80s. And and then the wall fell and we all thought, oh, communism is defeated. Mm-mm. Mm. It's a uh, it's an endless parade of bad history, Ryan, And I don't know where it ends. I would be I would be lying if I said I did.
0: Well, you'd probably be lying if you pretended like you had all the answers as well. So exactly. Uh, uh, exactly. just in closing, what do you I should have asked this first. What you, are you in New York City for an interview? What are you doing down there?
1: I'm in New York at a conference called the Liberty Forum. And it is of think tanks that uh, work to advance freedom, capitalism. And in fact, the winners last night of one of the major awards here was a think tank from Iraq that is doing great work in the Middle East. Um, and helping people there, uh, you know, advance business, advance uh, their lives, and advance economic freedom. So it's an exciting place to be. There's about a thousand people um, gathered here. So yeah, good stuff. It's a
0: lot of fun. Well, I, I don't want to keep you from getting there, but we appreciate your time, uh, your perspective on this, uh, Tasha Carradine, You can read her piece. We said we'd never forget the Holocaust, but Gen Z has nothing to remember. The National Post at nationalpost.com. It's always nice to connect, Tasha. Thank you.
1: Thank you,
0: Ryan. Yep, yeah, you got it. Uh, you can let us know what you think about this. I saw from Ben in the chat. He says, this is a lively chat this morning. And isn't that the truth? Uh, everybody's got their thoughts. Some of you think that Tasha brings a great perspective to the table. Some of you don't, don't agree with the perspective one bit. Uh, and, and that's totally fine. We're here to get you thinking, to represent different thoughts from different angles on this. Um, and I see that a lot of you are still in here. Uh, talking about the Alberta pension plan, which is cool too. It's, it's not lost on me that we have this community that comes together to hash out issues every single day. It's it's actually an incredible honor to be part of it.
3: We should actually make the song, the soundtrack. Are you down with a APP? Yeah, well, I think we may we'll have get run some into some
0: royalty issues. Different
3: uh, different people's comments we can <laughs> yeah. throw in the lyrics.
0: Yeah. One um, more email? We're going to get, yeah, I want to get to Crystal's email. Uh, that's not her real name, by the way. She's, she's asked that we protect her identity and, and I understand exactly why when she gets to it. You remember yesterday, uh, Real talker by the name of Michael uh, took us to task uh, for some of the guests that have been featured on the show, and and that's fine. Like if 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 you're a hundred percent on, I hate to even phrase it like this. On one side of the con, this isn't the Super Bowl. This isn't the Stanley Cup final. This is a horrific tragedy. Uh, what's happening in the Middle East, in particular in Gaza, and what's happened in Israel and and, and in the West Bank, and 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 I, I feel like. The story is about to expand from there um, in a horrific sense, but we're talking to different people. And so, you know, you may not like a guest that comes to the table and talks about this from an, an ardently or stridently or even unapologetically Zionist perspective. And then you may not appreciate somebody that comes at this as a Palestinian Canadian or somebody that has lived in that region. Um, and we've brought you both. I mean, Allegra Pacheco, the human rights lawyer out of Bethlehem that, that joined us. What about Nizreen Baker? Uh, The filmmaker that joined us, this was back on November 8th, um, and she was talking about her film, Arab Women Say What? Uh, And it was an interview that obviously spent, uh, we spent the majority of our time talking about uh, what's happening uh, right now in the Middle East. She talked about the arrest of a a demonstrator, a protest organizer down in Calgary for chanting uh, what Tasha was just talking about. Uh, From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, arrested by Calgary police on hate speech. And uh, and and of course, Nizreen pushes back on that. Well, Crystal wrote in after that interview on November 8th with Nizreen Baker. And she said, I I wasn't wanting to reach out, Ryan, about your recent episode on November 8th. She said, uh, says, Crystal, I listen to your show every day. Uh, But as a Jewish person, I am deeply disturbed and upset by what Ms. Baker had to say regarding the Israel-Hamas conflict. Uh, Jewish people have been persecuted and ostracized from society, dating back to the ancient Greek Hellenistic period, continuing to today. Anti-Semitism was officially coined, the phrase, uh, back in 1879, but persecution was longstanding. Uh, you know, your guest says that the people at rallies who've educated themselves about the plight of the Palestinian people and believe it is not hate speech to use that from the river to the sea line undermines her argument. Hamas is an internationally recognized terrorist organization. Uh, from the river to the sea is anti-Semitic. It's used by Hamas, by the PFLP, which in their charter state... Moreover, if the links have been distant from each other and if obstacles placed by those who are the lackeys of Zionism in the way of the fighters obstructed the continuation of the struggle, the Islamic resistance movement aspires to the realization of Allah's promise, no matter how long that should take. The Prophet Allah bless him and grant him salvation has said, the day of judgment will not come about until Muslims fighting the Jews, killing the Jews, when the Jew will hide behind stones and trees. The stones and trees will say, O oh Muslims, O oh Abdullah, there is a Jew behind me. Come and kill him. Only the Garkhad tree uh, would not do that because it is one of the trees of the Jews. I also want to turn, uh, says Crystal, to what the ADL has regarded on these protests, that it is important to note that demanding justice for Palestinians or calling for a Palestinian state should not mean, as this hateful phrase posits, denying the right of the state of Israel to exist which is how those around me, especially in my university, says Crystal, have been implying. She said that people, your guest said, that people being silenced in the West who support Palestine are immediately deemed anti-Semitic is factually incorrect. Palestine and Hamas are not one in the same. Under Article 8 of the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court on War Crimes includes grave breaches of the Geneva Conventions of August of 1949, Namely, any of the following acts against persons or property protected under the provisions of the relevant Geneva Convention. Willful killing, torture, or inhumane treatment. Willfully causing great suffering. Extensive destruction and appropriation of property. I already know what the critics are going to write on this. We welcome your feedback. Compelling a prisoner of war or other person to serve in the forces of a hostile power. Willfully depriving a prisoner of war of the rights of a fair and regular trial, unlawful deportation, and the taking of hostages. Saying that they are just wanting peace is deeply concerning. I've never been more scared, says Crystal, to be Jewish in my life. Says that internationally directing attacks against civilians, uh, intentionally directing attacks against objects that are not military objectives. I already know what the critics are going to say intentionally launching an attack in the knowledge that such an attack will cause incidental loss of life or injury, attacking or bombarding towns, villages, dwellings, buildings, which are undefended, which are not military objectives. Crystal says Hezbollah, also an internationally organized terrorist organization, and saying that, Israel all, always does this, as your guest did. Israel always does this. is frustrating. I understand, says Crystal, that Canadians have freedom of expression. I understand that students and other people have the right to exercise such. However, I and the Jewish community at large have been subject to unprecedented anti-Semitism by people thought to be our friends, our community, our schoolmates. We've had minimal, if no, support I am not wanted or safe in Edmonton. I'm scared to wear my Star of David. I've not been able to go to classes during protests for my own safety, yet there is little to no acknowledgement in these places. I wanted to provide and share this with you because I understand that you and this audience listens. When everyone around you is chanting for your dismantling, how can you feel safe? That from Crystal. That's a very personal email. Obviously, somebody that says they've never been more scared to be who they are in their entire life. I know that someone's going to write in, perhaps creatively writing from the perspective of, of a child in Gaza right now. And you could write as equally as compelling an argument. One does not negate the other. And we commit, I was talking to a friend yesterday, Who hasn't listened to the show for a while. And and she said, what have you been talking about on the show lately? And I said, well, I said, obviously, we've been talking about politics here at home. I said, obviously, we've been talking about some stories of interest across the country. I said, and we've been talking about the Israel Hamas war. And she went, oh, Mm -hmm. you're going there. And I said, well, what kind of a show is it if we're not
3: going there? Would you rather we just ignored it? You know, it would be easy.
0: It wouldn't be easy to ignore it as a human being. It would be easier ground to tread to ignore it as a talk show Mm -hmm. because you recognize that if you're going to bring on any guest worth their salt, any guest that has an informed and valid and passionate perspective, that guest will infuriate anybody that doesn't share that perspective because this is such an incredible tragedy. This is a story that the entire world is paying attention to and it for all intents and purposes, strikes me and maybe other people as well as something where there's no easy resolution and maybe no resolution
3: at all. I don't think there is a resolution. That's the horrible thing. No one wins in war, and most especially holy wars. And we, I know we haven't talked about it. We chatted off air about it yesterday, but I mean, I- Israel is not the, the righteous ones in this. I mean, if you look at Benjamin Netanyahu's cabinet, we were talking about it yesterday, very right wing people there, uh, saying some very not great things about the palestinian people yeah, and comparing and it's them just, to animals oh, i my mean it's, God. it's just you've got two groups of people under the control of two i don't know if both of them are governments but you know what i mean and they're they're helpless they're
1: yeah they're being um,
3: eradicated on both sides and it's 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 disgusting it's horrible and i don't see any i don't see any of it Working out good.
0: Yeah, we got Edison on here that says, Jess, why do you continue to I, I can't believe that somebody would write this with a straight face, uh, but Jesper, why do you continue to dismiss any perspective that isn't supporting Israel? What the fuck are you talking about? We literally are <laughs> referencing an interview from one week ago. like, what are you even talking about? Uh, we had Allegra Pacheco on human rights lawyer from Bethlehem calling for a ceasefire last week. Like, what are you talking about? but says creative writing, Uh, to take the perspective of a child in Gaza. What the fuck? It's called like poetry. Like unless an actual child in Gaza is going to email the show, someone could write in. Like, I I don't understand. You know, sometimes I think I should just ignore comments like that. Maybe I should. Maybe we'll cut that out of the podcast, but we probably won't. Elias says, thank you for bringing both sides to the table. I can understand their pain for their people. Elias says, I wish that people could see how their faiths have created much of this pain versus the love that should be promoted. Sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Noob says this whole conflict is just tragic. Loss of life should be mourned. No one wins in war. Can we all just agree on that and start from there, Noob? I'm with you there. I'm with you there. And others say, imagine, uh, Knud says, imagine how other minorities feel based on this context. Sylvia says it's tragic that people feel afraid in Canada. There are businesses being targeted. Uh, This feels like the 1930s again. There are businesses being targeted. Based on the ethnicity or the religious beliefs of the owners or the operators of the businesses. And uh, that to me is is just, uh, we are watching it happen in front of us. And if we don't say anything, then what the hell are we even doing here?
3: Mm-hmm. Really scary comment from Tasha, too, just alluding to it, but not going into just geopolitically, this is happening everywhere. Yeah. Like everyone's just getting angrier and more entrenched. And it's, you're wondering when. It's all going to explode together as some, you know?
0: Yeah. yeah. Netizen continues and says, why would you encourage people to write a bullshit perspective? Why not just seek actual voices? For sure. If we can get a child buried in rubble in Gaza, Netizen, we'll be sure to get them on the show. Um, But otherwise, we'll bring in people like, again, Allegra Pacheco. I'm being unprofessional right now. Allegra Pacheco joined the show last week from Bethlehem. Fucking watch it. I, I, this is me be this is what I would say to your face if you came up to me in the street and challenged me on this we are getting these voices we do have the voices and if you're going to pretend in comments and criticism like we're not then that's your problem not ours we've brought people on from Zionist perspectives that have infuriated people that are siding with Palestine here we've brought in I mean we brought in one of the most outrageous voices that we've ever had on the show. We didn't know exactly that goddess Sasa was going to go where she did suggesting that it was Israelis that murdered Jews at the music festival, but she did. We have endeavored to bring on voices that represent all these perspectives. And there are very few talk shows that do it because they don't have the stones and because it's what comes with the territory. We can do it because we're independent. We can do it because we have a roster of sponsors that will go to the wall for us because they believe in the value and the importance of real talk. But to pretend like we're not, you know, people that are writing and calling this a Zionist talk show, you are intentionally ignoring half of the, We have a, we keep charts to ensure that these perspectives are represented equitably. And we do it in good faith. We do it because we know that people show up every single day to this podcast. We know that your time is valuable. We know that you could listen to any podcast. You could listen to any radio show. You could read any book or magazine or not listen to anything at all. But you come here because you know you're going to get valid, real talk about real issues that matter to people. And I'm going to shout out one of our sponsors right now that all the time have been a part of a conversation an ongoing conversation that matters to people this is the family owned business at Eden Landscaping they've been with us since the very beginning of this show because they understand that this is an audience that deeply cares about their fellow human beings. Eden Landscaping are experts in bringing outdoor spaces to life. Custom landscape builders with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area. Whether you're design- Your idea, your dream of your outdoor space is ultra-modern or more of a natural beautification. Maybe you're looking for stunning stonework. Maybe it's an outdoor kitchen that's floating your boat. Maybe you want to add more lighting or you need a retaining wall. They do it all, and they're great listeners as well. We've experienced it firsthand. You can start the conversation today by checking out landscapeedmonton.ca. And it's a big weekend coming up at Friesen Brothers across the province of Alberta. There's 16 of them, and all of them are going to be celebrating Charlie's eighth birthday. Well, who's Charlie? Charlie is the sourdough starter. At Friesen Brothers, a natural culture crafted from very simple ingredients, flour and water. And Charlie is fed every single day by Friesen Brothers sourdough bakers, ensuring the enduring presence, enhancing the unique quality of Friesen Brothers bake bakery products. Now, his birthday, Charlie's, is coming up on Friday, November 17th. That's this Friday. If you show up to a Friesen Brothers and pick up a loaf of sourdough, Friesen Brothers is going to hook you up with a free Friesen Brothers cinnamon spread. Have you ever experienced the Friesen Brothers cinnamon spread?
3: Man, I didn't think you were going to come back to me. I thought we were trying to end the show here. We had it last night. What are Did you, you have talking on about? you toast? Here's another thing that's weird about being at Friesen Bros. I hear your voice. Ah! I'm trying to shop. We're getting the vegan. You're ve- trying to get away from me. They've got vegan cinnamon buns there with vegan cinnamon spread. We picked up a couple yesterday. And right behind me, I heard Jespo yelling. But yeah. It's the, incredible. The it's, cinnamon spread, I feel like incredible. I, it
0: comes in like, you know, like the sour cream size containers. Yeah. And I'm like, I could eat a whole thing just like- with a spoon. But I discipline myself to not do so. <laughs> I don't do, I don't recommend you eat the whole thing in one play, but you're going to get a free one. If you pick up a sourdough loaf, that's coming up this Friday at any Freezing Brothers. Freezen Brothers is Alberta grown and Alberta owned. Well, friends, we make you a promise. We make you a commitment. And we appreciate when you do the same to us So we're going to be right back here tomorrow doing the exact same thing. There's a fascinating new panel. A council that's been formed by the Institute for Research on Public Policy. They're the Affordability Action Council. And we're going to be talking to three of them tomorrow in our Real Talk Roundtable from different communities across the country, coming from different perspectives and different professions, all of this relating to addressing the affordability crisis in Canada that's affecting all of us, no matter what we earn. We hope you'll join us.
1: Real Talk is
2: hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer
1: John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources Lena Shepherd, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harman Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson.